0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like for you to imagine for a moment with me a religion without Christ. It's not too hard because it's most of America. But imagine a religion which Christ was not in. A religion that had removed him from the scriptures and replaced him with, really, us at the center. Maybe it does sound a bit ridiculous for us to think about, but imagine those many people that are searching the Scriptures to find their best life now. Imagine those people who are searching the Scriptures for anything but the really good news about a man who some 2,000 years ago died on the cross. Think about all of those rules and regulations that they will find, which we know are good. But think about that religion. Would they ever find reprieve? Would they have any bit of rest? Could they have anything to hope for? A relief from this great burden of keeping the law pure and holy. Keeping their lives pure and holy without fault. Think about it. Think about you reading your Bible, but nobody ever telling you to look for the one who is coming to save you from your sins. Think about being told to read the scriptures and search for anything but the covenant, but the promise of God to rescue you from damnation. What then would you find in the Bible? What would you find in that sacred word of God if you weren't looking for the one that the Lord had promised to come? Maybe that exercise seems a bit preposterous, like it is ridiculous. For who amongst us would search the scriptures to find everything but the promised Savior of the world? Who of you would call a pastor to serve you that was not preaching Christ and Christ crucified? You wouldn't do that. But there are people that are. That are taking the scriptures and making them into anything but being about Jesus. And it sounds absolutely foolish. Who would do that? Because it also has practical implications. And you can see this in your life. I'm sure you all have examples. Because sometimes when we see our neighbor, or when our neighbor sees us in distress, they don't know how to comfort us. They know that we're Christians, but if they're not a Christian, if they don't know how to pray to God, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? Oh, I hope it gets better for you. You'll do good. You'll get out of this. I mean, what do we say to them? If it's not, we'll pray for you. We hope that you hear this word of God and it comforts you. What do we say? Like, nope, I'm sorry, God says work it out yourself. I hope not. I mean, do you look at your hopeless and despairing neighbor when they've fallen and they're struggling through this life and say, yeah, the Bible says you shouldn't have done that, just time to pay the consequences. Yeah, you laugh. I mean, but could we offer them nothing if we didn't have Christ? We could offer them nothing if we didn't have hope in Christ. And I hope this sets up the picture for you today because the Pharisees were doing just that. They knew what the Scriptures said. They searched the Scriptures, but they had utterly missed the Lord's Christ. They had utterly missed the one who had come to save us from that very hopelessness, the very terror that the law brings to our consciences, knowing that we see all of these good and right rules for us to follow, but yet... Being unable to do so. Finding out that without faith, you can't please God. It's terrifying. I mean, to think about all of our reckless failures or even those seemingly little acts which makes us numbered among disobedient people. Or to think about all those things that we could have done, but yet we're more concerned about ourselves. And if you take Christ out of the Scriptures and and you're left with just what the Bible says concerning the law, you're left damned to hell. You have no hope. You're left standing arm in arm, joined together with the Pharisees. Because they had taken Christ from the Scriptures. And today, the text that is put before us is a disagreement, which they bring Jesus into It's a test, sure. But it isn't about testing him to see which one of them was preaching the best. Not which one of them was preaching the good news of salvation most rightly. That wasn't the test. No. The Pharisees care only marginally about the coming of David's son. What was their debacle over? It was over who was the holiest among them who had seen the law of God most clearly in the scriptures and followed it most perfectly. And the Pharisees were no joke. They were strict adherents to the law. They weren't like the foolish Sadducees who only read the first five books of the Bible. They weren't like the Sadducees who Jesus silenced because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the body or the angels. They didn't even read the prophets. They weren't like those foolish people. They were smart. They knew that Jesus knew the whole Old Testament, that he had read it, even standing in their midst, finding where the verses spoke about him. They were down-to-earth people who believed the word of God. They studied it diligently, and they searched the Old Testament thoroughly to find every law of God so that they could obey them. And just to be on the safe side, they also dedicated much of their time to creating more laws to help them keep God's laws. They're very law oriented people. But so when they asked Jesus which is the greatest commandment, they really wanted to know who among them was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to know who was the best at keeping the law. So Jesus gives them an answer and a question which silences them all and makes them never to go toe to toe with Jesus again. He gives to them the greatest and most unattainable law of God. To love the law or to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he lays down the second and most unattainable righteous command of God to love your neighbor as yourself. Equal to as much as you love yourself. But why would Jesus wish to silence them? I hope the obvious answer is because they were false teachers. Though they had distinguished themselves to the elite Sadducees, they had searched the scriptures, even more of the scriptures, and still came up empty. Empty of the gospel. Empty of salvation. Empty of the true righteousness which can stand before God. As, John, or as Jesus said to them in John chapter 5, you searched the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus knew what they were doing. He knows what we would do. And so he made it, as God makes it, all about Jesus. All about what he does. So that we can have life. You searched the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. How many of us have been told the lie that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth? How many of us have been told that it's a manual that we can master And possibly even become an expert in. To coach other people through life. But that's not the Bible. And your pastor is most certainly not a coach. He's the one who gives you Christ. He's meant to bring you the word and the sacraments which sustain you in the true faith. So that you may be sure of your salvation and the hope of everlasting life. Though you have transgressed the law. The pastor's job is to preach to you the law and the gospel. And the law says, do this and do this, but it's never done. And the gospel, or grace, says, believe this and it's already done. Those were the words of Luther. Both are, essentially to the, both are essential to preaching and both must be rightly distinguished. Because if you preach the law only, you will bring souls down to hell and you will leave them there under the damnation of the law. And only there will people be left in despair and hopelessness. But the law is not the only thing that is preached. Because where the law is, we know that sin is multiplied. And just like for us, when somebody finally catches us for breaking the rules, we see how majorly we have messed up. Think, how many times have I done this before? And so we need something. Something that gives us the bright light. Oh, that morning star that shines brightly. We need to hear the gospel. We need Jesus Christ to shine on our lives in the darkness of our hearts to bring us the hope of everlasting life. Jesus silences the Sadducees and the Pharisees because they were playing a hopeless game of searching the scriptures for eternal life, but never for the one who gives eternal life. So Jesus forces them to confess it. He brings them To the confession of their faith, which had removed Christ from the scriptures. So that people would hear the true word of God. When he asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? It was as if he asked them, you know God's word. What is most important about the Lord's Messiah and his coming? And if this question matters to Jesus, we should also think it matters to us. And take it seriously. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? It is for each of us to answer. After we have searched the scriptures. Who is Christ? If you've searched the scriptures and found only what you've wanted to find. But not Christ. Christ. You have searched the scriptures in vain. For Christ is the subject of the Old and the New Testament. He was not the mere son of David, as they quickly answered. But he was greater than the son of David. He was David's Lord. He was God. He is God. God in the flesh. God for us and for our salvation. God who came to earth to rescue us from our hopeless situation. And he had to be. For our salvation, it was most necessary that Jesus be more than a mere man. He had to be God. For no man could give his life to save another. But God, God in the flesh, he could. He could live the perfect life in obedience to God's law. He could love the Lord, his Father, with his whole heart and with his soul and with all his strength, he could do that. And in his life, is it not a testament to how much he loved his neighbor even more than himself? The Lord is our righteousness, and the righteous shall live by faith, faith in Christ. For St. Paul makes it very clear in Galatians 3, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged. a tree. They searched the scriptures for life, but missed the life giver. And we pray that that is far from us, for you and I are all told to search the scriptures for life. But the lifeblood that we need is found in Christ, in the lavish washing of rebirth and Renewal by the Spirit and holy baptism, by the very body and blood which we have under bread and wine. We cannot remove Christ from the center of Christianity. We cannot replace Christ with works of the law, for we will find nothing but the curse. But if you, in faith, cling to Christ Jesus, you will have all things in fullness. You will have forgiveness for your transgressions, salvation, eternal life in the very kingdom of God. Believe this. It is already done. That is the gospel. So then how is it that we still read the law? It does not become evil because of the gospel. The law still remains. It remains to guard us from evil. To show us when we have fallen so that we know that we are still in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And it puts before us every good work which we should do in faith to please God. But none of those works please God apart from faith in Christ. Christ must be the center of our faith. Because we know that God has prepared many good things for us to do as we sojourn here. And he loves the sojourner. He loves his children. So as you, the baptized child of God, seek to grow in the faith, look to see how you might do these things which please God, not so that you might earn God's favor or bring about God's love to you, but so that your your neighbor may be served with the love of Christ. And your works supply the proof that faith is still living. That is faith in Jesus, who saved you from the curse of that law. You see, even if we do stumble and fall over the law of God when loving God and serving our neighbors, when we are found in Christ, we still are kept in the true faith. When we are in Christ, the work of sustaining the faith belongs to God, not determined by how many works we have done or not done. It is God who works through his word, through the sacraments. Because we know that if it really did depend on us to sustain our faith, just as it would be if we tried to sustain our salvation, we would surely lose it. But we know that God is faithful, and he will not let us be taken from his hand He will not let anything in heaven or on earth take us from him. And so the only thing left to guard is to guard our life. That we may not be deceived or led away from the truth. Back to the works of the law. Back to a place where Christ has been removed. Because if we have Christ, we have everything. But if we lose Christ, we also lose everything. Now I am certain, as Paul was, that God who has begun this good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's protection, God's care, and God's promise will remain with you. So hold tightly to this gift. That is why the end of this sermon starts at Paul's beginning of his first letter to Corinth. He knew they were erring. He knew they were having problems. But he begins with encouragement to follow after Christ because in Christ we have the grace of God. In Christ we are enriched in all speech and in all knowledge. In Christ we are not lacking any spiritual gift and can, through the cooperation with the Holy Ghost, please God by walking in the works of God that he has prepared beforehand for us. In Christ, we have the promise that God will sustain us until the end, where he shall not hold our transgressions against us, but it is said we shall be found guiltless, though we ourselves know and confess that we have transgressed the law because of Jesus on the last day of, we shall stand exonerated. The Lord God Almighty has called us into fellowship that is in communion with him, not because of our worthiness, but because of his mercy and by his gracious love toward us through his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus our Lord.